You're listening to Penguin, live at the London Palladium, showcasing some of the wonderful, diverse voices from across the Penguin Random House group. Here's our compare, Emily Maitlis. Sometimes there is nothing more heartening than the sound of a familiar voice, a voice you can trust that can point you north, open up new horizons, provide a bit of comfort. My next guests are voices that we all know and love. Between them, they have an enduring relationship with audiences of every generation right around the world. I challenge you to find someone who doesn't have a connection with one of these extraordinarily talented people. It is my pure delight to introduce our first guest then, author, scriptwriter, comedian, adventurer, star of TV and film. He's taken armchair travellers to far-flung corners of the world, becoming president of the Royal Geographical Society in 2009 and was made a BAFTA Fellow in 2013. Talking about his forthcoming book, Erebus, please give a warm welcome to Michael Palin. I'm going to let you start right at the beginning with HMS Erebus. What, why did you want to tell her story? I've been doing some research into a man called Joseph Hooker, um, who was um, around Kew Gardens in the Victorian era. And one of the first bits of information I found out was that at the age of 22, he had got a job as assistant surgeon on this ship called the Erebus. Um, and the ship had gone to the Antarctic and spent four years there. Mm. Um, just a sailing ship, in amongst the ice, in amongst the icebergs. They got further south than any other sailing ship's ever been, further south than anyone ever been before. Then they came back to this country. Then, in 1845, this little ship, Erebus, was chosen to go to the Arctic on the um, Sir John Franklin expedition. And that was a total disaster. And they just disappeared off the face of the earth with 129 people aboard. Both the ships had gone. And I thought, wow, well, I didn't know about the Antarctic. That's interesting. This little ship that was meant, really, to patrol up and down the Mediterranean had been to the ends of the earth. Um, but sadly, it hadn't survived. And I thought, I just sometimes, someday I'll write a story. And it happened in 2014. Um, I got together with a lot of other old people to do a, a show at the uh, O2 called um, Monty Python Live. Um, one down, five to go. <laughs> or one down, four to go, as the second night was. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, that was terrific. We did, we did about sort of ten nights. And at the end of it, I just thought, this is, what do you do after that? And that was just the most amazing thing. And I've not got anything else planned. Two weeks later, I heard the Canadian Prime Minister announcing on Canadian television they had discovered HMS Erebus, 30 feet down, below the waters in, um, in the Arctic. Um, very well preserved. And I thought, this is a sign. I've got to, I've got to pursue this through, because it's not just a story of triumph and disaster. It's triumph and disaster and resurrection. This, this ship has survived 170 years, having been through all those adventures. So it was fate sort of drawing you in. And then the real research started, I guess. What sort of challenges yeah. did you face with that? Well, that's just difficult to know. I mean, I, I've never really researched a history book before. And um, various people said, oh, you have to get so-and-so and get someone to help you. And, 
someone to go to the library, someone to go to the archives. And in the end, I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it myself because actually I want to, you know, I, I want to tell the story in my own way and I want to be enthused in my own way. I want it to be, to be kind of personal. So I did all the research myself and what I looked for particularly were contemporary accounts. There aren't that many, but there are a number of letters from people on board and, um, and that sort of thing, which were absolutely invaluable. And then you get archives, you can get muster books and books, um, uh, sorry, the, the sort of records that were kept on board ship of what, what they did on a daily basis. And so the letters were, were describing what conditions or what was the sort of tenor yeah. of what you read? Really interesting, the letters, because what happened on these, if it, both these big um, journeys it went on were Royal Navy, the uh, Royal Navy adventures. And at the end of um, a trip which the Admiralty had had actually organised, you had to give all written records you had kept on the journey to the Admiralty. So they, they had to see it all. But letters were uncensored, and letters you could control. And some of the people on board ship just wrote to their wives or their mothers or their sisters, and especially the letters to the women are most fascinating because mm -hmm. they say they, they gossip more than they do. No, they, I mean, you know, they, 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 they don't feel quite so formal. They don't feel they have to, you know pretend to have, you know, sort of measured the depth of the water every day. They tell little things about... Um, the other people, I, don't know, I suppose. The I other mean, people and also... stuck on this boat with, with just yeah, the Yeah, and how they feel and how, you know, one day they're feeling utterly miserable, other days they suddenly, you know, catch a shark and everything's fine and all that. So, I mean... <laughs> it the, always the, makes the you feel better, doesn't it, catching a shark? It does, yeah, yeah. Well, you know about that, <laughs> <isn't> you? <laughs> You're the Hemingway of Newsnight. Of, of everywhere. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> I quite like that. That's going on the yeah, back of my book cover, if it's ever written. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, I mean, as somebody who has properly thrown themselves into all corners of the earth, mm. were you constantly sort of contrasting the conditions and the, and the means and the sort of, I don't know, the comfort factor as much as, as anything? Well, I, I was fascinated by... I tell you what fascinated me most was that it was a period when people were really going into the unknown. Mm. They didn't, and nowadays there is no unknown, really. It's all GPS, Google Earth. We know all these various places. But they didn't honestly know what the southern continent looked like. One or two people had sort of been near there. But that, that's what I wanted to try and sort of... I try and put myself into the position of people who are going off to somewhere, but they just don't know what they're going right. to find. I don't um, know what comes and that next. Was, that's, what it, that's what excited me. And in terms of my travelling, I, I mean, I've been to a lot of places, but I've, I've usually known roughly where I'm going. And so it was that element of complete uncertainty and belief in yourself, mm. which they had. And, they, you know, they're crammed in a ship which is probably 300 feet long and there were 60 people, so it was Gosh. very tight. We can't wait for that. We're going to pause you just there for a moment. You can even move up one and enjoy a little bit more of the orange sofa orange. because I'm going know. to introduce our next guest to the stage. Feels completely different in the middle. Um, now, this guest's voice has been the soundtrack to many a sporting occasion, including the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang just now, and her experience working with Olympians and Paralympians has inspired her writing for children. So please join me, if you haven't guessed already, in welcoming to the stage Claire Balding.
there you've got a sporty spice here when she actually runs onto the stage. Yeah. Um, to save every second. <laughs> Very nice to see you, Claire. My colleague, I never actually see Claire within the BBC, but that's how it, how it is. How's your whippet? My whippet is worn around my neck oh my every gosh. time. But still alive as well. But very much alive. Oh, Refused to, to come out in the snow, just won't budge, hides in the house oh, because yes, doesn't want to quite, go. Yes, they don't like um, snow whippets. But here you go, you see. We're <laughs> straight into whippet? the dog. I love that um, as an Because <laughs> I know she's got one, because I, do you listen to the podcast, fortunately, the um, Jane Garvey and Fee Glover? It's really good, you should. And Emily was on it last week yes. and talking about her whippets. And I thought, how exciting, because I hadn't realised until then that you had a whippet. It makes perfect sense. Of course you would. Well, and my, my, <laughs> whip, my whippet sits on the bed in the corner and I, pu I put the lead on and I pull it and the whole bed moves. <laughs> <laughs> the whippet does not, but the bed comes for a little walk along the hall, yeah. along the hall, until we get to the front door and he looks at the snow and then just sort of runs away. So <laughs> yes, it's no, a perfect that... pet, actually. You know, you couldn't want anything more. I was, you said something in that podcast. Can I just ask this question? <laughs> you said, I, love I have a whippet because it goes with everything. Everything. And I didn't know what that meant. Soft furnishings. Oh, I see. Perfect. Carpets. I just said... Sofas. Uh, they, I take yes. it to Zara, you know, it goes with everything, Brilliant. honestly, it's perfect. It obviously Strange. goes with beds, <laughs> doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Shall we talk oh, yeah. about you now? Oh, OK. <laughs> Shall we talk about you for a moment? Girl who thought she was a dog. There we go. Racehorse who learned to dance. D did you think you were a dog? Yeah, well, the, the idea... So, the book that I did for World Book Day today, hurrah, well done to everyone who went to schools yes. that weren't actually closed this morning. Um, really disappointing that those, clothes, that those schools are closed. But I'm hoping all the children are at home reading. Do you know what? My That's son my... had to sit through the Globe Theatre production yesterday. They all went to the Globe Theatre and sat and watched Much Ado About Nothing for three hours. And I just thought it was brilliant. What, because he couldn't go to school? No, no, no. They did it as a school trip. They just made them go and sit in the snow in the Globe Theatre. <laughs> <laughs> Was it open air production, yeah. was it? Oh, that's that's and I said, what do you think of the globe? And he said, Cold. what a stupid idea not to have a roof. <laughs> I mean, that... <laughs> no, that's well, that's like that being in China. At least there what? they had heated seats. There you go. <laughs> for the opening ceremony. Right, come on, anyway, back whatever. to your dog. Uh, back yeah, back so to you wanting to I, be a dog. I put it in the blurb on the, on the first children's book that, that, about me, because I thought it was more interesting than saying broadcast and all that rubbish. Um, I put Claire thought she wanted, thought she was a dog until she was whatever age. Anyway, this little kid in a thing I was at in Jersey puts their hand up and said, could I ask you a question? When, when did you realise you weren't a dog? <laughs> or did your parents have to tell you? Oh, yes. And I thought that's such an interesting concept. So that was the idea then for the girl who thought she was a dog. Because there's a lot of fluidity now. But there is. Right. And therefore, you would be very open-minded if you're... How many children have you got? Two. Two. And if one of them said, I'm a whippet, you'd be all for that. I, I would, actually. Because they go with everything. <laughs> And I think that's quite a cool... I also think we all should be a bit dog, actually. A bit Couldn't more dog. More. I think at least ten minutes every day we should be a dog. And what would you do in that ten minutes? <laughs> Not that kind of dog. Oh, sorry. A nice, friendly dog that wags its tail. Yeah. <laughs> Don't start humping my leg. That'd be awful. <laughs> We've but, got you know, just happy about everything, now, just yeah. happy about people and food and, and exercise and, and more food and sleeping and watching <laughs> telly. You know, just happy. That's what I mean. Yes. They're, they're human, really, aren't they? They're, well, <laughs> so like they're humans. much nicer than us. <laughs> so is it true you rode before you walked? 
So, is no, it... definitely, yes. So how did that work then? How does it not work? They just put you on a horse. Yeah, pony. A pony. A pony. She came in the house. So it was she only was a little bit bigger than you as a toddler, really. Well, it was quite a lot bigger than me, but it was only a little bit bigger than the dog, and I tried to ride the dog. <laughs> and dogs aren't really, you know, lurchers particularly. Big, bigger oh, I love a lurcher. A, exactly, love a lurcher. Oh. But skinny-backed. Yes. You know, whereas at least a Shetland pony has a wider back. Sorry, yeah. So no. that, that was the only reason. Claire Bolly, you heard it here first, ladies and gents. She took up riding because it was slightly more comfortable than being on the back of a dog. Yeah. Is that right? More or less. Well, as much as one can think at that age, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seems sensible. And, and easier for my parents to get me... Well, not my father, because he never really saw us. He did live at home, but, you know, he never saw us. Um, but easier for my mother to take me around on a pony quicker. You'd know this from all your travels. Much quicker, much quicker to be on a, on a pony. pony. And no parking. If you're in Mongolia, it's quicker to be on a pony. Yeah, um, the bus service is rotten yeah, in Mongolia. Certainly, <laughs> certainly. I prefer camels. I think camels. I, I miss. They spit though. They have a hump or two all humps, which is always <laughs> all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I admire people who ride. I'm, I, I admire you. You know, I, I was never very comfortable on a horse. I was rather frightened of them, really, yeah. to be honest. But there you are. I don't. And I don't ride that often anymore. I but it's know. such for you. It's such a, a, a natural way into a sort of conversation with kids through your books, isn't it? The oh animals. God, yeah, it's so easy. Exactly. It's an easy way into conversation with most adults, too. <laughs> Go around London talk to the dogs. Don't oh, talk to people. You talk to the... Do you know that? Or you make loads of friends you know through what? their the dogs. Worst, the worst thing was I saw this man whose dog grabbed a ball in the middle of the park and started deflating this little boy's ball. And the man turned around to his dog and he said, Buster, we've talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even find it strange. No. I was just like... He's very embarrassed. They've clearly had that conversation, <laughs> the dog's forgotten. But you do, don't you? You oh, just totally. you carry on talking and, yeah. and they're Buster. very sensible and they're Buster. Bad. We've talked about this. Mm. Yeah. Um, give us a quick thought before we move on. World Book Day. Oh, You've yes. been in the schools. Does it have a I big... haven't yet actually I'm due, you, to do, you... I'm due to do something in Newcastle on Saturday, but uh, a bit concerned. If you're watching in Newcastle. Put well, away I'm, the bunting I'm concerned for a bit. For it sounded, what um, do you no, think? I would love to go, but I have go? a horrible feeling it's not going to be on because I just wonder whether anyone's going to be able to get there. It is a red zone at the moment, Emily. You know this right. one. Shouldn't right. be con encouraging right. people to go out. To go out, yeah, zone. no going out to Newcastle. It's a red zone. <laughs> right, or Scotland or whatever, all of them. Devon right. now, is, I Devon. don't know, who knows. Could it, I, we'll never get out of this theatre. <laughs> no, there's no outside, it's 20 feet high. But luckily we've got lots of books. We can yeah, just we sit can just here sit and read. Right. Let's pause it there. Are you OK to I'll move shuffle. up one bit oh, of orange? Yes, because I know who's coming. It's because at this point, it's very exciting. We'd like to introduce our final familiar voice to the stage. <laughs> um, he's a random house stalwart since the publication of his first book back in 1999. Since then, his voice has got louder and louder, in a good way, campaigning to help reduce childhood obesity, improving everyone's health and happiness through food. We are, of course, talking about the one and only Jamie Oliver. is running and I feel like Graham Norton. Running? Where yes. are we running? Running all the way down. Well, it's running, bloody running. cold out the back. <laughs> you can start jogging around if you get chilly there. on the, the sofa. Did you bring your hot water bottles? Mm. Oh. Um, now, you... <laughs> I've, been, 
been cooking you all week. I told you this. Nice. There's no point reading How did you it, cook chef. Me? Well, we started with the mountain omelette. Nice. And then we made that whole melanzani where you have to do every vegetable and you sort of pack it all together. Nice. Yeah, it was very good. And you have dedicated this one to Antonio Colicchio. Yes. He's a yes. big, big figure in your well, life. Well, he was my first boss in London um, when I was working with Gennaro Contaldo, uh, who I uh, travelled around Italy writing this book. And... Um, and Antonio, he was an amazing guy. And um, that was the original Carluccio's. Mm. Neil Street restaurant, lots of foraging. And a uh, bit of a legend. And uh, obviously very sad when those legends fall. So, yeah, dedicated to Antonio. He's a good old boy. And, um, and best, you know, Gennaro was best friends with him, so it was a big deal for him, which means by default it's a big deal for me. He is your sort of... Your de facto. Yeah, well, me and Antonio used to get jealous about who was best friends with Gennaro. Right. Do you know what right. I mean? So, um, and uh, yeah, but you know, I think after a period of time and cooking together, uh, it's very sad when when you lose people. Mm. So, and Gennaro um, has remained a very colourful yes. figure in your life. I've been reading things about you lot going off in the hot springs of Italy yes. and stuff like that. That sounds rather yes, adventurous. Was that nice... foraging? Yes, you wouldn't <laughs> believe what I found. <laughs> um, uh, very similar to a wild mushroom as well. There you um, go. And, um... Just got to look in the right place. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's what it's yes, all about. Yes, magic mushrooms. Um, uh, but no, we had a great time. And, and Antonio is, um, for me, and I mean this in the most sincere way, like... Uh, I wanted to travel around Italy from north to south, from the mountains, from the cold to the hot, to the islands. Uh, I wanted to do it with Gennaro, um, you know, while he could still walk himself. Mm. And uh, I didn't have to carry um, a bag for him. So, you know, um, it was a nice moment for us. We, we're both quite philosophical about life at the moment. And obviously through cooking, uh, both me and Gennaro wanted to really capture what we believe is the last generations of like old school nonnas mm. and that whole life of cooking and uh, thousands of years of kind of cooking experience we were learning because from. Because what you actually think that it's just not being passed on now to yeah, the next we, generation. Yeah, we thought what? that and now we know that and now the nonnas have told that and every mm. nonna that we went and cooked with and I know the nonna uh, cooking with the, the great grandmothers of the Italian kitchen is a, a great cliche, but to do it justice requires a lot of time a lot of time, uh, and because uh, you know you'd be halfway through a recipe, they fall asleep. <laughs> it looks glamorous on telly when you cut it down, and it looks oh yeah, you know, ciao. But actually, oh, she's asleep again. <laughs> and then you never know if they're just messing with you because they kind of open an eye just to check on you, and then they go back again. It's like you know, you know, who are these English? Uh, they, they think that bunch so of English. So you get a nuts. sprinkle of. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, were there, were there um, sort of were there? Um, sort of crazy sounding techniques that you would never have thought of you know i'm you know like sort of straining through a sock or something Did oh. you, do you have some oh, oh yeah and there's loads of that sort of business and 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 tights and bits and pieces but you know it's it's um no i think in a funny way the thing i really learned um writing this book it was two years writing this book mm. um uh, a year and a half filming completely over budget um because i kept falling asleep mainly um <laughs> but um Actually learning to uncook, which sounds weird. Go on. Well, um, so, you know, what happens with craft and chefs and often things driven by men is we try and create it into a thing where actually when you go to the 
the heart of cooking, which is nourishment, which is by default often maternal, which by default in history was often women, these incredible matriarchs of the kitchen, it, it's much more different and it's much more important. It's about observation, watching, seeing, smelling, seasons, what's available, when's the right time to pick or buy or barter, and, and these recipes that are passed down, whether it's through poetry or song. Oh, my Lord. I mean, to, and, but I think the kind of that old world and that concept of humans are so wonderful and when they have what I believe is the true mar you know what is a luxury now is it a phone well it's not a luxury if everyone's got it is it a pair of Nikes not if everyone's got it like is it a car everyone's got it but actually to cook the knowledge to cook is a pure luxury it's mm -hmm. a gift whether you're rich or poor and then when you talk to the nonnas that were all poor what does poor mean is it what's the worst in Britain today well, it ain't their version of poor. Their version of poor was fucking poor. You know, it was, like, really poor. And when humans are tested with the knowledge to cook, brilliance comes out. Mm. Pure brilliance and, and survival. But, like, real survival, not, like, kind of Bear grill survival, you know. Like, like real... What, because anyone can do that? Because it's death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. But, you know, like, we, we were, I remember being with a nonna in, in, in Puglia and she didn't get her first pair of shoes till she was 15. And she's sitting there smashing me on pasta. You know, she was the one also falling asleep a lot. <laughs> I think she was messing with me. There's she wasn't even tired. There's a lot of muscle goes into the pasta, isn't there? Really? It's, just, it's just... You can't fake that genius. So yeah. for me, actually, one of, I learned many things, and I'm still working out what I learned. But learning to uncook, and what does that mean? This idea of craft and perfection and, and cooking things the right way. Actually, when things are wonky and crushed and broken and torn and irregular, they cook irregular... And then you get this flavour that tastes like mum's cooking, and that's, that's what we were trying to yeah. find, really. It's what we used to call rescue cooking as well. It's when something goes wrong, the really good chefs are the ones who just know how to rescue it, pull it back again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Jamie, you've talked about your inspiration. I just want to ask the others... Hello there. Hello. <laughs> In the middle of the sofa. Um, wh where did your inspiration for both of you come from? Were there people, were there characters, were there moments, as Tom talked about, that sort of... Gave you your... Um, well, it's just anybody who really gets you interested in stuff, you know. And I think probably, um, for me, there were, were a couple of teachers who got me interested in things like Hemingway and whatever. And I realised was, there was something different, something modern there. But mainly, I, I was influenced by people I met at university, people like Terry Jones, who we ended up doing a review with and all that. And suddenly everything was possible. I, I mean, I could tell jokes, I could muck about a bit, but it takes someone to come along and say, look, get this together, let's do a camera, let's do an act together, come and be in a review. And, and I was never pushy enough to do that. And so I, I thank others who were pushy enough to get me to do that sort of thing. Yeah, I totally understand. I, I actually have a huge amount of gratitude to Michael Morpurgo because I was recording with him for Ramblings, a walking programme I do for Radio 4, and down in Devon, in, in his part of the world, and we were talking about war horse, and he wanted to, you know, we were talking about horses, and it wasn't for the programme. And he looked at me, he said, you know, you really ought to write about animals. You ought to be writing for children about animals because you, you know, you understand them. And, and, that, and I hadn't told him that I thought I was a dog either. Um, and so he, he sort of gave me the confidence, said, go on, then do that. And, and, and 
the first, I think I'd written the first book I wrote, which was My Animals and Other Family. I'd written it by then, which was every chapter was a different animal. So that was just a way of telling my life through animals and then taking that into fiction and saying, well, what happens and if the animals... He knows that bit? now, does he? he yeah, yeah, yeah. We do, yes, he was very cross with me because because I was doing quite well in the charts and he got really cross with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no, it was the last time like he's this. ever going to advise any <laughs> exactly. budding writer again. <laughs> he was great. He's been lovely, yeah. Um, listen, we're going to leave it there, but enormous mm. fun to have you all, and thank you Pleasure. for sharing thank such you. brilliant stories. Lovely to see thank you. you. Michael, Claire, Jamie, thank you all very much.